Well, hello everybody and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church on this beautifully sunny and at this moment dry Sunday morning. Essex Church, where this gathered community of Kensington Unitarians meets each Sunday for worship as well as for other activities during the week. This community is made of all those who walk through our doors and we especially welcome visitors as well as all those who are listening to this service at a later date via a podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Now, anyone who is here in the room this morning is invited to stay after the service, if you would like, for a cup of tea or coffee. And today we have our congregational lunch, to which all are welcome. We always have more than enough. It may not be of the right things, but we always have more than enough. Every Unitarian congregation here in Britain is a member of our central organisation known as the General Assembly or shortened to the GA and every congregation is encouraged each year to hold a General Assembly Sunday to heighten our awareness of the work of the GA and frankly to help raise funds for its ongoing projects. So that's part of our focus for today. But I'll also be exploring matters of the spirit and asking how we best can create organisations and structures that still allow us freedom. And I look forward to hearing your thoughts about that later on, perhaps over lunch. Let's take a moment now to calm and centre ourselves. To notice consciously that we are here today at this moment, in this place together. We've arrived here with our own concerns, our own particular version of the human life story. And yet together we create a community of fellow travellers, seekers, explorers of the spirit. May we each this morning find something of that which we are most in need. May the burdened find their load lightened. May the weary find rest. May the troubled know peace once more, and may the joyful find ways of sharing their happiness with others. May our spirits be uplifted and inspired, and may the divine light that shines throughout our universe shine now upon us and upon this place, and may our worship here be illuminated by all that is great and good. Each of the stars in the heavens is unique, an individual, and yet together they form the night sky. Each of us here is unique, an individual, yet together we are a congregation. Each of our congregations is unique, an individual, and yet together we are an assembly. For the stars in the sky, for the people in the seats here today, For members of our assembly, we light this chalice in gratitude. Welcome to you all. As I call on the all-bountiful spirit of life and love to be with us now. As I ask us to pray for our general assembly and for the congregations like us that form its membership. 
and for all who maintain their worship and witness. Let's hold in our hearts and minds all those willing volunteers who serve at a local or a district, a national and international level. Let's pray for the Assembly's dedicated staff, conscious perhaps of the burdens we sometimes lay upon them and the thanks we fail to give. Let's pray for those who devote their lives to ministry, giving thanks for their vocation and service. And let's hold in our hearts as well all the lay people serving as leaders, pastors, secretaries, treasurers, chair people. We know that human organisations can never be perfect for they're created by us, frail and broken as we sometimes are. And where we find fault, be it with individuals or systems or governments or churches and any of the myriad ways in which we organise human society, may we also find the grace to acknowledge our own failings, the courage to take a greater responsibility for the future. Help us to accept imperfection, yet still do all we can to make things better. Grant us the power of love to heal all division and transcend all discord. And may faithfulness to your divine spirit be the bedrock on which we build. And may this be so for the greater good of all. Amen. We need some laughter soon because I'm going to tell a story and I haven't written it down and it always makes me really nervous. But it's a story I'm so fond of because I feel it speaks to my condition. I don't know if it will speak to yours. And you've probably heard it, some of you, before. And it concerns Nasruddin, the Sufi uh, holy fool who um, appears in many stories from the Persian tradition. And... um, He had a very long life. A lot of things happened to Nasruddin. But when he was sitting in a tea room one day with his friends, um, one of them said to him, Nasruddin, you've had such a long and such a in many ways successful life, but I just don't understand why you never got married. And Nasruddin said, well, there, there, by hangs a tail, as they say. I've fallen in love, Nasruddin said, many times in my 20s. There was a gorgeous young woman that I met. I felt she'd be just the wife for me. Do you know, she could cook so marvellously, and she'd got a sense of humour, but, but she wasn't quite clever enough to me. She wasn't kind of my match, so, you know, in the end, I didn't ask her to marry me. And so it went on. In my 30s, I met another wonderful, wonderful woman. My God, was she clever, that woman put me to shame. Could she cook? Not, not a thing. Hopeless. Not a falafel was to be had from her kitchen. So, do you know, I just, I thought, no, no, she, she can't be the right woman for me. And so I went on searching for the perfect wife to be. And eventually, only a few years ago, I met the perfect woman. 
everything, everything. Clever, witty, gorgeous looking. And she could cook, really. She could show Jamie Oliver a thing or two. Well, his friend said, so why aren't you married? Ah, said Nazruddin. She was looking for the perfect husband. (laughs) And that's for all of us who find imperfection wherever we go. Okay, are you all awake? (laughs) Well, you need to be, because this part of the service is going to pass so very quickly that you might just miss it. So, and I don't want you to miss a single word. I know that organisational structures are not everybody's cup of tea, but when it comes to our General Assembly of Unitarian and Free Christian Churches, I like to think that if it didn't exist, then this congregation, of which I am so very fond and proud, probably wouldn't exist either. When the General Assembly was created back in 1928, not everyone thought it would succeed. The Enquirer, our um, denominational uh, newspaper, included several letters um, before it was set up, prophesying absolute doom and that it would soon fall apart in acrimony. The first GA president, Reverend Henry Gow, described it as a daring experiment, one which many might think would surely lead to disaster, the loss of all unity and coherence. Churches which had no creedal bar to membership, a ministry which had no creedal test for fitness, how could these form a foundation upon which a religious community could be built? But that foundation was built, and 85 years later, and we still have our GA, bringing together a wide array of congregations and other affiliated bodies, and still facing, perhaps understandably, some of the issues that it was facing when it began back in 1928. How should we fund its work? How should decisions be made? And the fundamental question of most structures in human society, who's actually in charge... Now, if you are a member of this or any other congregation, then you have financial stake in the GA through what is known as the quota payment. Each year they ask us how many members we've got, and then for every member, so much of your membership money, and Caroline, I can't remember how much it is, the quota payment, but none of us has got a clue. (laughs) 30-something pounds is paid by this congregation for every member and then given to the General Assembly to help with its work. And what do you get for your money? Um, A youth programme, ministerial training, advice for congregations, leaflets, connection with Unitarian groups abroad, campaigning on social justice issues, commissioning hymn books, including the two you have in your hands today, affectionately known as the green and the purple hymn books. So we get something for our money, and we're joined with other congregations in this General Assembly and we get together at our annual meetings. We have a headquarters known as Essex Hall, and that's the original site of our congregation's first church building, hence the name Essex Church, and there are staff that work there. Our chair of trustees, Howard Haig, uh, worked there until recently um, with particular responsibility for information and archiving, and I was the GA's religious education and youth officer for seven years. And I tell you, there's nothing like working for an organisation for gaining a deeper understanding of its strengths and its weaknesses. 
I'm going to quote you just a few words now from Christine Hayhurst, another one-time employee, and I think this says it really well. This is entitled Congregation Polity, you know, and it's again that issue of who is in charge. Christine writes, The General Assembly has no control over its constituent congregations and fellowships. There may be shared values, but there's no uniform product or service, no identical offering that can be delivered nationwide to a centrally agreed master plan. And nor should there be, for that would be contrary to the Unitarian ethos. However, congregational independence and autonomy presents challenges as well as opportunities in strengthening the Unitarian witness and widening the circle of community. The General Assembly can encourage, influence and support, as indeed it does, but what happens at local level depends ultimately on the will of the congregation. And that, of course, is us. So our General Assembly has really little or no power over congregations that it's made up of, and our staff at Essex Hall are there to advise and guide, but they really do have very little control, as Howard, I think, will agree with me. So in the end, it is down to us. What we put into our GA as individuals and as a congregation, I think it actually matters how we speak of our GA and indeed of all our organisational structures. Because isn't it easy to complain and find fault? You should hear me uh, speaking of our coalition government at present. It's so much more challenging to praise and to speak well of possibility. So we're going to spend a few minutes now listening to some wonderful music, Mozart's Benedictus. And I wonder if in that time we might have a think about how we can speak well and encouragingly of ourselves and one another and the world in which we live. Some really brief thoughts on religious structures and spiritual freedom I love this topic. I, it's just it's one of those things where the more I thought about it, the more complicated it got. So I've gone back to something simple. It's, and we all know this. By all accounts, it's part of the human condition, isn't it? To feel ourselves pulled in two directions. We're aware of ourselves as individuals, and we seek an individual path of growth and fulfilment. Yet through most of human history, we humans have been all too aware that actually the only way to survive is to bond in communities with others, to connect, to put the needs of the community sometimes above our own. Now, seeing ourselves as primarily individuals is a modern development in particular Western societies, and only parts of those societies. It's been much studied by sociologists. They've noted what's called um, a drop in associational behaviour, the grouping together with others in all sorts of ways, clubs, sports groups, churches, etc., etc. You can fill in the gaps. We just don't get together with others in the ways that we used to. Before joining you as your minister here at Essex Church, I was a student minister with our Unitarian congregation in Nottingham. And whilst there, I did a study of their congregational history. Now, was anyone in this congregation born a Unitarian? Anybody? I wasn't. I don't know why I'm putting my hand up. That's two people out of the whole room. Okay. Um, and did anyone here today come to this church as a child? No. 
<laughs> yeah, I am. Excellent. <laughs> when I asked these same questions in Nottingham, nearly every hand went up. Um, the majority of that small congregation had worshipped there as children. And as I interviewed them and recorded their memories, what was really moving was to realise that they were grieving for their church's past, when as children, teenagers, and then young adults, they'd met their friends and had most of their social activity based around the church. They were there almost every night of the week. And I, that Nottingham is not unique in that at all. To be honest, it would have probably been the case here at some point. Um, it's a very different world now, isn't it? Here in busy London, particularly, I think, we're part of a real change in religious activity. People are more reluctant to come to church, or certain sorts of church anyway, yet many are seeking something, a way of deepening their spiritual lives. And this kind of spiritual search, well, that has always tended to be a solitary path of the mystic. Now, I know I am biased, but I think most of us need both of these paths a sense of belonging and a sense of personal individual exploration. I think if we can hold these possibilities together, there is a potentially really creative tension created where growth and development can occur for us as individuals and for our communities. I really have seen lives improved greatly by somebody deciding to settle and belong in a community. I'd like to say it was always Kensington Unitarians, but the reality, I think, is that actually most communities would do it. I've certainly seen my own life improved in that way. And I also know, and I'm sure you do, the frustrations of belonging, how slow and unwieldy organisations can be, their tendency to hark back to the past rather than envision the future, and the challenges of decision-making in a large body of people. But, oh, the potential. The potential is here to achieve so much more together than we could ever do alone and to share what we've got with others and to make the world a bit better, a bit brighter maybe, than it otherwise would have been. On your order of service sheet, there are two delightful quotes. I particularly like this one from Carl Gustav Jung. It's... I want to explore more the meaning of wantonness. Carl Jung wrote this in a letter to uh, Sigmund Freud. What infinite rapture and wantonness lie dormant in our religion, we must bring to fruition its hymn of love. And then words by John O'Donoghue. The hunger to belong is not merely a desire to be attached to something, it is rather sensing that great transformation and discovery become possible when belonging is sheltered and true. My hope is that our belonging here at Essex Church can indeed be both sheltered and true, and I'm glad I belong in community with all of you. Amen. And so, let us go now in peace and in love to our imperfect world with its frustrating and inadequate organisations and let's be the people who are prepared to make a difference through our speaking and our actions joining in and holding a vision for a possibility of a world of justice and equality
a world where the spiritual and the material meet and strengthen each other for the greater good of all. Amen. Go well and blessed be.